what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Kareem. What's up, man? Man, I thought I wouldn't be able to talk with you this week because of my technical difficulties. So I'm just I'm just glad to be here, as always, in the one I was going to say the one constant of life, but everything's a constant right now. It's the way it seems. Yes, it's just one one day over and over again. Groundhog Day. One. Some of them on which you podcast. Yes. It would have been all right if you didn't make it on today because we have a, a guest once again and uh, we would have survived. No offense. Yeah, but the people want my very professional voice and insightful questions and witty banter uh, with you that we've developed over the course of, I don't know, what is it, a hundred podcasts maybe by now? Something like that. The numbers are split between our pre-athletic SoundCloud days and uh, our mainstream label yeah. days. Yeah, before so, we signed to a big label and uh, hard, sold Hard out. to say. You know, we could put all the old ones onto an EP and re-release it under the athletic banner at some point. <laughs> yeah, that that would that's the uh, extra revenue stream that will really get the company to uh, through the roof. So if you are not already a subscriber and you are interested in something like that, the athletic.com slash we the six uh, will get you 40% off a subscription and our eventual B-sides. Uh, yeah, I'm putting that promise down. I'll give you 40% off the eventual release of our pre-2018 <laughs> podcast B-sides. Uh, the athletic.com slash we the six. For real, though, if you uh, are not already a subscriber, uh, if you are, or if you're not and just not inclined, uh, please rate, subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. Uh, Eric, before we get to our guest, uh, there is only one piece of even minor kind of COVID update from the NBA side, and that's that uh, shortly before we came on to record here on Tuesday, uh, Canada and the U.S. announced that non-essential border crossings are off limits for another month. We know that the Raptors have said in terms of getting players back to work out at OVO Athletic Center or, you know, however the eventual return to play is going to be handled. Uh, either guys will have to come from the U.S. to Canada or the guys who are still here in Toronto will have to go to some city. Uh, the Raptors have said they'll follow the protocols that are in place. So that would seem to mean that there's not going to be any of that. Um, but, you know, there's always wiggle room within the definition of uh, essential travel. And I think I think they specify specifically said tourism is the non-essential travel. So um, possible that there's a way there for players to get back. I haven't heard of any players coming back yet now that OVO is open. But uh, yeah, there's your minor non-update for this week. Woohoo. Yeah, I'd say uh, that doesn't do much other than maybe it's more unlikely now that Toronto acts as a uh, host city to the NBA playoffs this year. Not that it was ever particularly likely to do that. Um, but again, this will be reassessed in a month, I'm sure. So it doesn't even mean that. It doesn't mean much. Nothing means anything. Eat at Arby's. I'm still holding out hope. Friend of the podcast, Katie Heindel, outlined uh, why Canada should be the place that they, they relaunched the NBA. And she threw out some options across Canada. And I'm kind of hoping that they turn Belle Island, Newfoundland into Basketball Island. <laughs> and, you know, the island could not hold the NBA and probably doesn't have a rim that's higher than eight feet tall. But if you were going to try to turn an island into basketball island the same way UFC wanted to do Fight Island, uh, you could do worse, I'm sure. And you, you're you certainly not going to have to worry about any nightlife concerns or other parts of the population coming in to put the population at risk. So 
Well, well, I'll, I'll let you speak to that. I've never been in the uh, in the wonderful province of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, and it's just another time zone I want to get to. Yeah, it's a half time zone even. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no comment. Uh, speaking of places that uh, I am from or tangentially from, happy 519 day to everyone here on May 19th, if you are from the 519 area code. And with that said, we're going to go from Newfoundland, the complete northeastern most part to uh, somewhere far, far, much further south, much further west. Uh, we're going to talk Sacramento. We're going to talk UCLA. Uh, after this, Rico Hines, Sacramento Kings assistant coach and uh, a player development coach who's worked closely with Pascal Siakam and a number of other Raptors. Coming up. All right, we're joined now by Sacramento Kings assistant coach and player development coach to a number of NBA players. You've surely heard his name before, given you're a Raptors fan. Rico Hines. Rico, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. How you guys doing? Doing pretty well up here. Uh, well enough, anyway, considering. Hey, man, that's all that's, that's all you need. That's all you need. That's yeah. all you need. Just a little bit. You don't Trying need much. Stay positive and stay productive. Got to. You got to stay optimistic, man, and and, and uh, just follow the rules. That's it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess, you know, I know I know a lot of guys lean on you uh, pretty heavily in the offseason. Have you? Has this kind of like ramped up the amount you're like texting with guys and giving them stuff that they can do around the house? Have you have you kind of been taking that more on for guys? No question, no question. Definitely been uh, uh, more than just doing stuff around the high around the house. I just been checking on them more. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, uh, it's more of a mental thing, man, and, and just being there for them. You know, anytime any of those guys need me. I'm always there. They can text, and, and we do, definitely a lot of FaceTiming. I'm FaceTiming with a lot of different guys around the uh around the country man and and uh, just more checking on i mean i've done some zoom calls with some ball handling drills and some things like that with some guys but it's more just a uh you know just a on, on a friendship type basis you know what i mean like just being there for guys and just talking to them facetiming with them laughing with them excuse me having a glass of wine virtually <laughs> you know with them and stuff like that so just let them know i'm, I'm here for them uh, uh and and knowing that we're gonna get back together at some point and if you guys are curious about some of those, um, some of those FaceTime chats have made it to Rico's uh, YouTube page or his Instagram page. You can follow Rico at Rico Hines B-Ball uh, on all your social channels and your YouTube. Uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel there uh, as well. Because it's, you know, it's not quite the off season for players, but it's not quite the season for players. Do you Do you find that everybody just wants some clarity or if people aren't, or if players aren't um, really sure what to do with their time, like how, how do you sense most players that you, you deal with either with the Kings or, or uh, through your own uh, work, how do you sense that they're dealing with things? Oh, that's a great question, man. I think, I think we're all kind of a little bit of the unknown, you know what I mean? A lot of people, a lot of, we just don't know. You know, I think I think that's a world thing too, not just us as, as basketball players and sports figures. I think a lot of people just just the unknown. But I do know guys really want to play. They're anxious to get back on the court. I know I am as well to get back helping guys develop and get better. Uh, but I think it's just the unknown. But I do I definitely believe the guys want to play. The guys that I've spoken to, they can't wait to get back to playing and, and the competitive spirit and just being around your brothers, man. Uh, I think a lot of guys miss that. But I think it's just a lot of. Uh, of the unknown we don't really know but i think we're taking some positive steps by opening some of the practice facilities and, and getting guys back in there and uh you know uh, following the rules that every that, that, that the um 
that the, 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 the health authorities are telling us to do. So as uh, long as we continue to do that, I think we'll make progress of, of eventually getting back out there at some point in a healthy way. Rico, before um, everything kind of got hit on pause, this was your first year back on an NBA bench in a little bit with the Kings, uh, working with uh, a lot of Canadian content there with Corey Joseph and Roy Rana. Uh, how was your first year back on the bench, and how does that differ from you know the kind of role you take in the off seasons and throughout the year, kind of mentoring and helping players develop? Does much change for you when you're on a bench? Nah, no, 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 no. Not much doesn't change. I'm always myself, man. If you know me, I'm always <laughs> going to be myself. You know what I mean? I'm very very straightforward and very positive, very optimistic. You know what I mean? I believe in hard work. And and that's the great thing about Coach Rana and Corey, man, Corey Joe. They're great people and they believe in hard work too. You know what I mean? Both of those guys, man, you know, they both had to grind and, and work hard. And they're even better people than they are uh, coaches and basketball players, man. They're great guys. I love my Canadians, man. They're all good people <laughs> to me. I got a lot of love up there. Uh, but they're, they, they've been great with me man and, and our whole staff is great man we have a really good staff coach walton has done a great job putting his staff together and, and he allows each and every person to have an open mind and be themselves so that's the best thing i like about it not much has changed for me man i get the chance to be myself and work with some amazing people and players and just be me you know what i mean i think uh uh, uh and coach you know coach luke's want all his coaches to be like that they want everybody to be themselves because you know everybody brings a little bit something something different to to the toolbox you know what I mean? Like it's a toolbox. You don't want, if you have a toolbox, you don't want a toolbox full of the same thing, right? You want to have different things in your toolbox. And I think that's the great thing about, about our staff, man. It's very mixed as far as different uh, uh, walks of life and different type people and, and different basketball experiences, which is, which has been awesome. Yeah. We had our, our former Raptors 905 pal, Jesse Mermis over there too. So you guys, yeah, yeah, good, good mix yeah, and a yeah. lot of Raptors connections there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great group, man. Jesse has been awesome, man. He's a, he's a big time coach. He's going to be a great head coach one day soon. Eric, you were about to jump in. Yeah, you just stole my question. It's fine. I was going <laughs> to ask how much he uh, hated Jesse's trademark negativity, but um, uh, but uh, no, uh, Jesse, for, for the listeners who don't know, is uh, almost comically upbeat at, at times. Uh, at, yeah, at least he yeah. was in Toronto, unless something has hardened him and made nah, him. Uh, he's a <laughs> great man. We, we get along. He's like a brother to me, man. We get along great because we're both optimistic and very, very positive. And uh, so it's, it's a pleasure to go to work every day. I miss those guys, man. I can't wait to get back with them soon. So Jesse was the the head coach of the 905 their first year. That was before uh, a certain Rico Hines player got to the Raptors in Pascal Siakam. Uh, Siakam, obviously, his time with the 905 is a big part of his kind of origin story and the development path that he's followed. Uh, you know, Rico, I know you know this, but when Pascal gets asked about his path and how much he's improved, you're usually one of the first names out of his mouth and how the work that you guys put in every summer and maybe more importantly than that, the kind of mentality that you guys have approached his development with. Uh, he talks a lot about how much that has meant to him and how much that kind of growth mindset uh, has helped with his development. Uh, how... You know, watching Pascal this year, I know you probably don't get to watch every single game since you're your full-time assistant coach with the Kings. Uh, but what did you see from his growth and how impressed are you that he continues to kind of raise the bar for himself way faster than most players develop? Uh, well, you know, I, I get a chance to catch it. I'm, I'm a, you know, know me, man. I'm a, I'm a basketball purist and junkie. So <laughs> if we're not, if we're not playing, I'm watching, you know, I'm watching games, you know, his games, other guys that I work with around the league, our opponents. 
uh, people we may play, you know, down the line. Like I, I, I'm a purist, man, so I get a chance to to catch them quite a bit if we're not playing. And even you know if we are playing that day, I definitely check out the highlights of him or see if <laughs> you know his box scores and and stuff like that. One thousand percent, I check on him all the time for sure. Um, he's always been talented, guys. I mean, you know, and people ask me about him like a lot and. You know, I wish I could take all the credit for it, but I can't, man. It, you know, it takes a village to, wait, to raise a child, you know what I mean? And uh, he has a wonderful family. They're very upbeat and, and positive for him, and, and they do a good job of pushing him and at the same time being there for him too and giving him that positive feedback. So, you know, his family is amazing. They push him. And and, and, and one, thing about, one thing about Pascal, man, he, he wanted to be really, really good. Like he really did, man. He really wanted to be. He didn't want to. He, he still does. I mean, I I tell people this all the time. I think he has the ability to be the MVP of this league. I really believe that. Like, you know, I think he could be the MVP of this league soon. Um, but he he was always an energy guy. You know what I mean? He was always an energy guy, and he always played to win. Like the first day he I was with him, like he always wanted to make winning basketball players, and he wanted to win more than anything else, right? And and, and he just wanted, and, and he had all the stuff, all the stuff that he's doing, he had it. He, we just had to tighten it up. Like we just had to tighten it up and he just had to get the reps in on it and continue to work. He just needed time because he had all that stuff. He just needed time. So we, just, so he devoted himself to being in that gym <clears throat> when they would lose early, man, in the, in the, in the early rounds, you know, those first couple years, he would like, he, the next week he would be out there with me. You know what I mean? Like that, mm -hmm. I mean, he would spend three, four months five, six days a week, double days type thing in the gym. You know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> and it, it, I mean, he was a worker, man, but he always had a vivid imagination to be very, very special. He wants to, you know, and he still does. So, uh, and, you know, he believed in me, gave, you know, he, he, you know, Rick, you know, uh, this is what I want to work on or no, excuse me, you know, what you think I should work on. And, and, and we talked about it and, and we just pushed each other. Excuse me. I just pushed him, man. And he, he, he has a great spirit. You know what I mean? The times that he didn't even feel like he would be so tired. I, mean, I only I remember one summer, two summers ago, not this past summer, but two summers ago. And uh, he came in one morning. He was uh, Pascal would never complain. He was just so tired. And I was just like, Pete, let's not even do nothing today. And we was like three months in, like because we had been going so much. And for him to like look like that, I was like, man, this kid is exhausted. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? And I was like, nah, man, just leave and we'll get back to it you know, tomorrow. And he did, man. And he's never missed a day. And we just tighten the thing we talked about with his game was just tightening everything up, keeping everything compact and tight because he always could dribble, handle, uh, pass, and get it off the get it off the board, get it off the rebound and push. He could always do those things, guys. He always had that. So we just had to tighten it up. So when he got, you know, to this when he got to the season and got to the training camps and stuff like that, that he had the coaches all the way confidence. Like, you know, it's one thing to want to do it. But you got to prove to coaches because at the end of the day, I'm a coach first, right? I'm a coach, right. so okay, I'm looking at it at that lens from that from that lens and prism. Okay, let's tighten it up and let's show them that you can do these things. Otherwise, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. And he could always do it. He could always do it. We just need to tighten it up and make him sharper. And um, to his credit, man, he he worked his his tail off, and and the rest is history. He, he's going to continue to work too. He's going to continue to work. And he wants to be. He he loves seeing himself improve more than any person I've worked with. And I've worked with a lot of people. But he loves to see himself improve. He loves to show, you know, he, he just loves to show that he can do more. And, he, and that's why I said, like, you know, because when he came to me, he didn't have any bad habits. 
he was a blank canvas with any with no bad habits. He just wanted to win, work hard, be a good teammate, and put the work in. So my job was easy, you know. He had the hard part. When you say that you see could see him becoming an MVP in the league and you look at where he went this year and kind of his first year as the guy, what do you think is the next step for him? Is it is it the playmaking to get those assist numbers up and kind of keep a defense honest? Is it that in-between game or is it still more just kind of tightening everything up and just improving everything just that little bit extra? Yeah, just a little bit extra. You know what I mean? Continue to prove everything. Continue to work the same way. You know what I mean? Only difference is, you know, you just have to be a little, we just have to be a little smarter with his work because his workload has, has increased. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. uh, uh, he's, he's playing more, they're playing more, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen now, but like last season, for for instance, like, you know, you guys was playing, you know, they played so late into the playoffs. Like I only got a chance to be with him for, what, what was it? I think it was six weeks. I only got six weeks with him this past summer. And normally we get three months. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, because you won the championship, you played so much, I only got six weeks with him this past summer, which was fine because you played all that basketball. You know what I mean? So we just needed to enhance the things that we were already working on and keep his mental correct. You know what I mean? Like a big thing with him is just keeping his mental, his mental correct and stuff like that. So I think just continue to tighten his stuff up, keep everything sharp. And, uh, you know, cause we have, we having a big layoff right now. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. have a big layoff. So once we finally get back in there and see how this thing going, you know, just keeping it sharpen up everything, always shooting, you know what I mean? Always shooting, you know, uh, you know, you have to be able to make shots, which he does at a high rate. So just shooting the threes, uh, uh, shooting threes off the bounce and shooting threes off the pick and roll, which I think he did a better job with handling off pick and rolls this season. You know, normally he would just be the one setting the screens, which he still does, but now he's comes off them as well. You know what I mean? So continue to work on his pick and roll game as him when he handles and making plays uh, and, and shooting off the bounce from three, uh, coming off pick and rolls and stuff like that. So, and we've been working on that stuff, so nothing new. Same old, same old, man. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just we just have to be smart about. The time, because you know he 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 takes on a a big workload now. You know what I mean? It's like a, I think it's called uh, what is it called nowadays? Load management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and I tell people this about him, man. It was no such thing called load management for him in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like when we started, right. it was. I mean he he worked, and I'm a believer in that. He, I mean, in order to be good, you know. And as you get older, yeah, I get it with the load management, right? Yeah, but when you're a young player. Shit, that 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 doesn't even <laughs> exist. You know what I mean? You have to put the time in, and then you'll reap the benefits from it. If you put if you're putting in the right work, the correct work for your game, you know. So for you as a coach and as a teacher to to have Pascal improve as much as he has it and kind of trust the work and approach it with with the mentality that he has, how helpful is that for you when you go to other guys and you know you have your your guys working out with you in the summer or with the Kings or whatever, and you can kind of point to Pascal and be like, see, this is what happens if you have the right mentality and you can put the work in. Um, does is that is that helpful when you're talking to other guys, even guys who are more established like a Stanley Johnson or a young guy you work with like a Paul Watson? Uh not really, man, because I I treat everybody you know, I, I kind of lose myself. You know what I mean? If you know me, the way I work, I don't, you know, every guy's different. You know right. what I mean? So if I'm, if I'm working with whoever, they don't want to hear me talking about Pascal or whoever, whoever, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I have yeah. to give them that proper respect to work with them and allow, and, and, and see what their big picture is and allow them to get to their big picture. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I don't do that. Not now, you know, if they ask, I'll tell them, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, you know, what kind of stuff does does, does Pascal like to do, or, or Montrez like to do, or, or whoever, right? Yeah, I, I'll tell him. But if not, you know, I'm I'm not gonna bring up those specific things when I'm talking to to certain guys. You know what I mean? Like even if, like if I'm working with De'Aaron Fox during the season, I'm not gonna bring up, you know, Pascal and things like that. I just that's just not how I operate. I want to give everybody that proper respect and and and. Uh, and work with them the right way and work and, and so we can get the best out of that guy. You know what I mean? That, the best out of that particular player and and, and kind of go from there. But if they ask, uh, uh, you know, it's a lot of people that I can go to and, and, and talk about that I've worked with. And But if they ask, I'm down to give the knowledge for sure. But if not, I'm not going to bring it up. Mm-mm. No, that makes a lot of sense. If someone, you know, my editor came to me and was like, well, why, you know, this is what this other writer did. That that wouldn't be the way to coach me up either. <laughs> exactly. <so. laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. I did mention uh, Paul Watson. He's a guy that I wanted to to ask you about because I know that he's worked with you for a fairly long time now. And this year, this past season was such a big season for him. Um, third time going through the G League and he gets the 10-day with the Hawks and then the two-way with the Raptors. How much have you seen Paul grow and how happy were you to see him get that two-way? Oh, man, how dope is that, right? I mean, come yeah. on, man. Like, come on. Like, I just got chills thinking about that kid just now. Like, I... I, I First of all, I love every kid that I work with. I truly do, man. And I love to see them finally start to get it. It's such a dope thing to watch, man. It's it's just like the best thing in the world. Um, because, you know, him not getting drafted, him, you know, having a good college career, being, um, you know, a rookie of the year in the, in, in, in his conference as a, you know, fr- freshman of the year in his league that, that you know, coming in and, you know, had, you know, uh, big time. Um, he has big time talent, man. And he has worked with me the past summers. Uh, you know what I mean? And the kid, he, he devoted himself this summer, guys. I mean, he really did. You know, he had went through the G League a couple years, had some cool seasons and stuff like that. But if you know Paul, he's really quiet. He's mm-hmm. so quiet. You know what <laughs> I mean? So you got you got Pascal, who's super loud, right? And then you got Paul, he might not say one word. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he's very quiet, but he's really good. And so what he did this summer, man, he devoted himself to me, man. He came. He came early. You know what I mean? He came early in the summer, right? As soon as this G League season was over, he came. And, you know, you standing stand in L.A. is expensive, man. You know what <laughs> I mean? To live in L.A. is expensive. He, you know, he he wasn't making much money in the G League. So what he did was he saved his money, you know what I mean, throughout the G League season. And he, and he saved up some money so he could live in L.A. and devote his time with me in the summer. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about that. Like, so he invested in himself. You know, and and because and it, and it paid off. You know what I'm saying? It paid off. He ended up getting finally getting that ten day, finally getting that two way contract, and now he's on his way to being in the NBA for a long period of time because he's very talented, guys. He's very very good. He's explosive. He worked on his jumper tremendously. He shot a high percentage from the three and the G. Like you know what I mean? He worked Big on time. all the things. Yeah, man, we worked on all the things that they needed to do, and he became more aggressive. You know what I mean? Because by nature, he's just a you know he's just you know, he kind of he can he can really hoop. He can do a lot of things. He can play man. He's extremely athletic. He can defend. He can make shots. But he's just you know he's kind of laid back. He, he lets the games come to him. But when he turns it on like he did right now, then you can see okay. Now I can see kind of the, some of the the, the the Paul George comparisons that they had for him coming out of Fresno State, going into Fresno State. You know when he first signed and was rookie of the year and stuff like that in that league. So, you know, he had a lot of Paul George comparisons. So now you can kind of get a chance to see the certain things. And a lot of that is just his development. I think this kid, man, over the next couple of years, he continues to develop. He's going to be a hell of a, a hell of a steal. 
which the Toronto Raptors do a good job of getting players like that. They do a really good job of, of, of seeing that kind of talent in people and then helping them develop. And then, you know, you, you get steals and you get steals. And I think Paul Watson is the next steal. I really believe that. So I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. His best years are to come. And I, and, and I couldn't be more thankful for the opportunity to get to work with him because he's a great guy. Rico, you just touched on something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, for so long, uh, you know, through the end of the 2000s and into the 2010s, it was the San Antonio Spurs always get these steals and, and develop these players from who knows where. And now the Raptors have sort of got that reputation that's both, you know, through the draft or guys they didn't even draft. Like they've, right. they have had guys develop and become prominent members of their team. From your perspective, and you obviously work with with guys from all different teams uh, who are coming from different NBA teams or not even NBA teams, from teams overseas maybe, what can a team do? And I'm not talking from a scouting perspective, but from like once they have that player in the door, what separates a team from being good developmentally versus not good developmentally? What can a team do to really uh, emphasize and accelerate that developmental pro process? Oh, that's a great question, man. I think, first of all, uh, assembling the right staff. You know what I mean? Having the right staff that's motivated and really, well, it's a trickle-down effect, right? Let me start this. Having the right management, right? You have the right management who understands that, you know, development is a big part of this whole thing. You know, the development, development, development of, 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 of your players, right? That starts with the management. And then after having the management, excuse me, after the management believes in that, then having the right type of staff on board who's extremely motivated, driven, positive, uh, accountable, resilient, and, 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 and has a great imagination of helping these guys improve. All right, you know, having a work ethic, you know what I mean? The players having the work ethic, and, and your coaching staff having that work ethic too, to be, to put the work in each and every day. And then, and then the other part about that is, is having a plan. You know what I mean? What's the plan? You know, having that thing written out and laid out for the big picture of it. You know, what's the next two years look like? This is what we're going to do every day. Or this is how this, this summer looks for the next four months, depending on how many, you know, uh, how much time you have to help your guys develop. Now, every guy is going to probably go different places, right? They're going to go here, 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 here. Now we got to be able to get these coaches out there to them. You know what I mean? And have these coaches work with, because, you know, there's a lot of guys and, and, and trainers around the the, the, uh, the, wor the world that does great jobs. You know what I mean? And it's also some that do horrible jobs, right? <laughs> so now you got to have, now you got to have everybody on the, on the, on the same page, right? You got to have uh, uh, your coaching staff, the player, and whoever he may be working with in the summers on the same page, or if that, you know, and, 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 and have those, have your coaches out there working with them, you know what I mean? Getting to, getting to different cities around the country to go see these guys, you know what I mean? And get and, and being out there for weeks at a time and stuff like that. And, and, and that's why I said it takes special type of, uh, take special type of staffs to believe in that because sometimes, you know, you're going to be leaving your families for a couple, for a couple weeks in the summer when this time supposed to be your time off. But this is not your time off. This is your time to work with your guys still and help them get better. And then, you know, obviously you have some guys that, that stay around, you know, and, and and then while they're there, you know, you work with those guys. You know what I mean? You get in there every day. And then the final part about that is anytime that you can have these guys together as much as possible to build camaraderie, to build chemistry, you know what I mean? Have those guys have little different, you know, different little mini camps and stuff like that throughout the 
throughout the summer and, and, and things of that nature where the guys are getting together kind of on their own. What I, that's what I mean. Like, you know, when I say mini camps, I'm talking about the guys getting together on their, on their own and kind of being together, doing little things like that. You know what I mean? And, and, and working out together and talking to each other and stuff like that. And, 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 and having the coaches, you know, getting with them and working those guys out and, and, and stuff like that. So I think it starts with management first. I think it, then it goes to your staff having a, a really motivated staff, you know what I mean, who wants to work hard and see guys develop. And then at the same and at the end of this thing, man, having a plan. What's the plan for each and every person? And I think you guys, I think Toronto, I think the Raptors are, are A1 with it. I think they do a great job. I think we do a great job here in Sacramento with it. And, uh, you know, some other teams around the country that does great jobs doing it. So uh, uh, and, and Toronto's the Raptors, they, you know, they're, they're, they're a first class organization with development of, of their guys. You know, they do a great job. And I think we do as well. I think we do just as good a job as anybody in our in our league with, with doing that. For sure. And Rico, I know I know we're kind of running out of time for you here. So um, just want to th- say thank you so much for doing this, man. This was really insightful. Um, appreciate your time and, um, you know, everything you do. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Anytime, man. You guys, anytime. Just let me know whenever you need me, man. And uh, I'll be there for you. And guys, you can follow Rico um, on all your socials and his YouTube channel at Rico Hines B-Ball. Um, lots of good stuff there, whether you're a fan or a player. Uh, I'm not sure Rico could do a- as much work with Eric and I as he could do with some of these NBA guys. But if you're a higher caliber <laughs> player than, uh, than our hosts here, you might be able to pick something up for your own game too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure, man. I'm sure everybody will, everybody will enjoy the content. And then the last thing, man, I just like to say, you know, everybody just be safe, man. And, and Stay busy, stay motivated, uh, and we'll get through this tough time together, and we'll be back on that basketball court in no time. Thanks so much, Rico. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks, Rico. Be safe and healthy. Always, yep. All right, so Eric, did he sell you? Are you you ready to join me on the Paul Watson bandwagon? Uh, I'm thinking I might need my – to go get my own game worked on so I can help my rec team uh, inch over 500 next year. I think, uh, no, I mean, obviously somebody says somebody's quiet and hardworking, like I'm, and that, that goes a long way for me. So <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, he, he's a kid worth pulling for the, the thing about Rico is he's, he's so, and I, I wrote about Pascal and Rico. I talked to Rico when Sacramento was in Toronto in, uh, in November, He's so positive and optimistic that it's hard to to know what is real. I, I mean, I, I think it's all real, but like his, that's not the lens with which I view the world. So it becomes right. very confusing for me to to uh, to try and get on the same wavelength. But I, I can see why a personality like that would be very helpful to spend your summers with, for sure. Yeah, it would be a big contrast in coaching styles to go from Rico, who's asking you, you know, why not? Why can't you do this? And then you get a hold of the player and you're like, why bother? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I th- I've always pictured myself as a front office type instead of uh, <laughs> not a, a a coaching type. I don't think I'd be, I, I would not have nearly the respect uh, of the, uh, enough respect from the players uh, to pull that off. I don't think, uh, deservedly so. I, I mean, I, I, I just do not have any credentials that deserve that respect. <laughs> look, the only thing you really need, which we learned from, I mean, look, Brittany Donaldson can really ball, but um, Malcolm Miller was, 
was clear when we had them on a conference call last week. Uh, they, they were the first pairing to work out back at OVO Athletic Center. Uh, as long as the passes are in the pocket, you're you can that can go a long way, man. I'd, now, Brittany pro- can do that wearing a face mask and gloves. I'm not sure you could pull it off with bare hands and clear face, but that's one skill you could work on to, to win them over. Yeah, I th- I do think that I would probably like throw out my elbow or something by snapping too many passes. Like that seems okay. like a way my body would rebel. And also, like when she, uh, it didn't really occur to me that like the, I, I knew they were wearing gloves, but I didn't really think about how many passes you'd have to throw and how many times you'd have to catch it. Like it must get disgusting in there. Like ca- especially because you're only allowed to have one ball. It's one ball per player, yeah. so that they only have to sanitize the one at a time. Yeah, like throwing. Hundreds of passes and a pair of, you know, sweaty gloves. Uh, that doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. I mean, you get your, your run in, you're, you're doing your job to the best of your ability in these times. So all that stuff is good, but it would be more physically uncomfortable than even usual. Uh, and like the developmental coaches do, you have to be in decent shape to pull that off. Uh, uh, sure. they, they get a lot of, they get a lot of running in and a lot of chasing rebounds and, and all that good stuff. Well, that's why you got to uh, call dibs on working with the best shooters. It's far yeah, fewer just, rebounds just chasing Matt a Thomas Matt Thomas workout. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric, you mentioned uh, continuing to work during this situation. You continued to work in this situation last week, um, teeing up the conclusion of The Last Dance with, of course, the thing that people were most curious about. How does this affect the Raptors? Uh, You went back and discussed how Michael Jordan had actually kind of a tough time against the Raptors, at least relative to the rest of the league, uh, in their 72-win season. And then, uh, you know, in the last dance season, he kind of steamrolled them a little bit. But they did give them a challenge. Um, You talked to a couple members of those Raptors teams, including Doug Christie, uh, also with a Sacramento Kings connection there. Uh, How much fun was it to to kind of revisit that with Christie? It was actually something I'd wanted to ask Rico about um, his reaction to watching the last dance, but we kind of ran out of time there. How much fun was it to, to talk to Christy and those guys? Yeah, it was definitely cool. Um, you know, and it was something I sort of suspected based on Doug Christie's career. He started with the Lakers and the Knicks, but uh, he had one season in which he sort of had a part-time starter, part-time reserve role with the Lakers, but that had that was during Jordan's first retirement. And so he really hadn't played Jordan until that first win at the, at the Sky Dome, which, uh, which a lot of Raptors fans, day one Raptors fans will remember as sort of the peak before Vince Carter arrived was, you know, in front of 35,000 people or whatever it was, the Raptors winning, I believe, 109, 108. And Christie logged 26 minutes that day. And, you know, many of them spent on Michael Jordan and in the huddle before the last play, Alvin Robertson, who had a long history with Jordan and, and, uh, had spent many years guarding him, uh, told Daryl Walker and Brendan Malone, the coaching staff, that he thought that, uh, that Doug Christie deserved that opportunity to guard him, uh, at least at the start. The play, you know, qu- quickly went elsewhere because Jordan sort of mishandled the ball. But, I, I mean, what, what Christie told me is, you know, being able to just hang with Jordan, and Jordan had a great game that that game. He had a worse game when, they, when the Raptors beat them the next year. But just being able to hang and seeming to have that respect from him after the game when they met, like, meant a ton to a player who at that point had a fledgling career. Like it was, you know, you don't, 
a good team doesn't give up on you, and the Knicks were a good team at that point, if they see you as a valuable two-way contributor. And he sort of found himself in Toronto, and in no small part, that was a turning point, uh, or one of many turning points in his in his career. And uh, and beyond that, just listening to some of the stories, like Daryl Walker talking about going to Soto Soto with him, <laughs> uh, some things, ne- as I told Daryl Walker, some things never change. <laughs> like, no, that's that's Popovich's go-to spot when he rolls through, too. Yeah, and, uh, so I asked Daryl Walker if he had to, like, make sure to order an extra bottle of wine for Jordan um, to, to maybe get him more off his game the next afternoon. And he said, you never had to worry about that with Michael. He would, uh, <laughs> he was a wine and cigar connoisseur were, were his exact words. But, you know, during one of the timeouts, um, Jordan was like, you paid, uh, I, I take you out for a nice dinner and this is how you repay me with these nonstop double teams. Um, uh, and he also told a story about how when Daryl Walker was a player, he Michael Jordan would get on him, on him for having his fingernails too long. Yes, um, that's, that was gross. Yeah. Um, and uh, Daryl Walker said if his wife doesn't mind, he wasn't going to cha- change for Michael Jordan. Uh, long fingernails do weird me out. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean... As you would expect, the Raptors don't figure prominently in, in the, or didn't, I, I guess now that we've seen it all, didn't figure prominently in the last dance, uh, you know, maybe footage of the Raptors beating the 72 win Sonics wouldn't be as captivating to millions and millions of people as Michael Jordan bawling on the floor millions. after beating Seattle in that series. But, you know, it was sort of... There were the most mem- those two wins and and mostly the first one, but they beat them again by eight points in the, in their second season. Those two wins were sort of the highlight of, of the Isaiah Thomas years, if you will, and and Doug Christie, who became a four time All Defense player and, and one time first team All Defense, really used that as a launching point for his career. Yeah, I'm glad you got to talk to him about it because I think you know obviously during hiatus we've done some backward looking things and even before that a little bit I'd started the process of looking back with like this being the 25th season and I was evaluating things like you know the I I did that thing before the trade deadline ranking every trade in franchise history and that required obviously digging into more than just what I remember about guys careers and then as we did um, you know we've done some of our other backward looking things really stands out just how good Doug Christie was probably an underrated all-time Raptor, and then also um, like an ahead-of-his-time guy as a three-position perimeter defender who can knock down at that point, uh, you know, 30, he shot 35.5% on four threes a game over his career as a Raptor. Um, That was, you know, that was a really, that was a lot of threes at a pretty good clip then. Um, You'd assume that volume would be even higher now. He kind of projects as like a Danny Green type uh, now if you want to, you know, put it in in terms of a, a more recent Raptor. Uh, so yeah, glad to see you got to give him some shine like that. I, I imagine at some point we'll get a, you know, during all of this, we'll, we'll maybe eventually we'll get some answers in documentary form about that Kings Lakers series and Doug Christie can get a little bit more love, but your piece might be all he gets from the last dance. So yeah. And, and he sort of ended it on a sour note, sort of saying that, I mean, I ended it on a sour note, but he mentioned Shocker. how like so many of the things uh, he saw guarding Michael, he then saw guarding Kobe Bryant, and obviously the Lakers kept the Kings from probably that 2002 title uh, and, you know, were the main uh, 
obstacle in front of another team that was ahead of its time. Uh, in you know, and Christie was a big reason they were ahead of their time. Maybe not the biggest, but certainly factored in there. For sure. Um, not looking back uh, that many years, just looking back a little bit. Um, some other stuff we had around The Athletic this week. Again, if you don't have a subscription, theathletic.com slash we the six, you can get 40% off of one uh, right now. Last week, I also talked to Landry Fields, and he kind of opened up about the weirdness of his Raptors tenure. Uh, a mystery injury that to this day is not, uh, he still doesn't have answers on. Uh, we've also started slowly rolling out uh, some of our draft stuff. Um, a couple weeks back, I did kind of a state of the franchise back and forth with uh, former NBA executive and national NBA writer, John Hollinger. I kind of went into the Raptors draft history in the Masai Ujiri era, which obviously, you know, the credit doesn't fall just to Masai. There's Bobby Webster, Dan Tolzman, a whole host of people uh, who deserve credit in there, but it's, a much easier headline to just say Masai Ujiri's draft history. Um, you can only fit so many characters in there. And I can only mention Dan Tolzman so many times. Um, anyway, uh, we will continue. Oh, yeah. And then on Monday, uh, I did a back and forth with Sam Vecini, our NBA draft lead, kind of teeing up some of the options the Raptors might be exploring at 28 and 58. Obviously, we couldn't talk about anyone. everyone. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll have more draft profiles rolling out, probably four or five players at a time to give you a feel for who the Raptors could look at at the end of the first and the end of the second event when we eventually get a draft. And then, uh, you know, if they keep the picks, which it's hard to tell because history has shown that they don't mind using picks as currency to make other moves like unloading salary or adding talent. Uh, but we have no idea how the cap's going to be handled yet. And until we know that it's really hard to figure out what the trade market might be like, uh, both for players and how draft picks would sweeten those. Uh, Eric, anything else you would like to plug? I think uh, I just admire how often you bring up Dan Tolzman, uh, just so we can note that Blake Murphy is doing his part to break up the Raptors front office. Uh, that is your main goal, of course. Not not yes. assign not assigning credit fairly. It is making things bad for the for Raptors fans. I recently did a podcast with Alex Wong, friend of the podcast, um, where we went back and actually. The first one we did was we went back and watched an old King of the Ring where Bret Hart wins, wins King of the Ring. And it was <laughs> shocking to to see. I hold Mean Gene Okerlund in high esteem journalistically. Yes. Uh, it highest. was shocking to go back and see him using interview time to like really stoke the fires and like basically misquote people in headlines effectively to, to try to stoke the fires. Yeah. May, that's so maybe maybe watching too much Mean Gene Okerlund has worn off on me. Uh, the least realistic thing about professional wrestling, I have long maintained, uh, and by long maintained, I mean I voiced it to my wife and am now saying it on this podcast, uh, is is like the sideline interviews, the equivalent of the sideline interviews, how then, like, if it's with a, a face, the broadcaster after the interview is done just looks adoringly, uh, or if it's with a heel... Uh, he or she will just look confused after the interview is done or, or angry or disgusted. Like, you've got, if you want to sell the realism of professional wrestling, you have to get a solid neutral observer uh, in there on the sideline. And, you know, uh, our, our compatriot Renee Young did that for a lot of years uh, very well before she was given a plum new gig 
Um, but I'm just saying, let's let's get it together, WWE and and all uh, and AEW. I haven't seen their sideline work quite as much. Uh, I don't think they T- have Tony many... Schiavone's a pro. Yeah, That's... I don't think they have quite as many backstage interviews. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I want some that that's what I want out of my professional wrestling is realism and neutrality from the fake journalists. Well, New Japan Pro Wrestling does the like podium game. Yes. Setup. You come out after your match and there's a couple beers on the table for you there and you sit there and get asked a couple questions in English or Japanese via translation. Uh that might be the way to do it. That's that's where you get those those real answers. I remember seeing that in the um now I'm blanking on his name. The documentary about Kenny Omega, yeah, the Kenny Omega documentary, uh, and how you know during his uh, anyway, I can't speak with authority about anything in New Japan uh, pro wrestling, but that was a, an interesting look for somebody who's only really watched Americanized pro fresh professional wrestling. Well, you know, we can always take lessons from pro wrestling, um, and they go both ways, you know, you got Dennis Robin and Carl Malone. Engaging in WCW. That is during, crazy. During the NBA Finals. That is crazy. Uh, and the cons- inconsistency of Dennis Rodman to both go on an episode of what I assume was Nitro. Um, yes. But also to use the Degeneration X crotch, crotch chop after a win. Like, pick one, bro. Like, you, you, gotta, you gotta choose a side in the Monday Night Wars. There are no... You, you don't walk the, a middle ground. And so that was from somebody who takes pro wrestling as obviously seriously as uh, Dennis Rodman did. I was disappointed in him. Well, also, yeah. can you imagine how big of a story that would? I mean, it seemed like a pretty big story then. That would be. That was the whole reason they did it. Yeah. That would be insane if it happened now during the NBA finals and you're just somebody's just appearing at a. In, in, on Raw or something like that. I, I can't even imagine that. Like like knowing the little controversies that come from, you know, I think what we can remember pretty clearly were Co- Corey Joseph and uh, Damari Carroll going to the casino after a Raptors-Cavs game. Um, th- that The extent to which that would blow up would be gigantic. And it's hard to imagine that happening during the finals. It's hard to imagine... Uh, having a staff better equipped to cover it, though, between me, you, Jason Jones, our, our Sacramento guy, we've got we have the personnel to cover, you know, Serge Ibaka or OG Ananobi join Monday Night Raw. God, <laughs> I hope they wouldn't go to Monday Night Raw. How how awful would that be that, like, you have this big controversy about a, an NBA player going to the modern version of professional wrestling, and it's just so underwhelming to fight like King Corbin or something. Yeah, well, it depends if Heyman's booking or not. Um, how much control does he have? But uh, yeah, I, I mean, the the WWE TV shows were struggling even before there were no audiences. Now they're pretty much there's pretty much no reason to watch them. Which doesn't mean I haven't sort of watched them because I don't need much, much incentive right now to do just about anything. Yeah. I don't think we have to worry about that. Ibaka would probably make the best one, but um, you know, OG is more of a New Japan guy. I think get him in the the never open weight division over there. Uh, we have two f- quick, quick finals notes. Um, yes, we are now in the span of time where you're coming up on anniversaries from the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the first one is just, uh, I'll plug 
on Tuesday, I had an article come out. I talked to a whole bunch of people about how the championship run affected their relationships. Um, so if you were one of those people that opened up, thank you. I really appreciate it. I couldn't include all of the stories in there, uh, but I did my best to pick primary ones that represented, you know, a common experience for people through that. Um, that was fun to do. A little, little strange to do and outside of my, my normal approach, obviously. Um, but it was, it meant a lot that you guys reached out and shared your stories. So thank you for that and check that out. The second note is that if you are listening to this on Wednesday, May the 20th, it is Fred Jr.'s birthday, which is a national landmark day in Raptors canon now because it changed everything, obviously. Yeah, it's weird to have birthday to Fred Jr. It's weird to have two national statutory holidays in, in the same week, but we have them now. Yeah. That's that's it. May twentieth is uh, my. It's also my brother's birthday. Yeah. Uh, he does not get a, a happy birthday on the podcast, but it does sometimes fall on the weekend. So we might have a double holiday at some point. Yeah, when when Fred Junior's birthday and Victoria Day Monday um, fall on the same day, it's you know I propose a American Thanksgiving like four day weekend. I think that's the only it's the only way to do it. <laughs> I'll I'll get writing to uh to Trudeau and Ford. I'm sure they have nothing else uh going on right now. Yeah, forget the border opening. Let's just double down on the holiday uh, to celebrate Fred Jr. Fred Jr. Of course, the alleged impetus for Fred Van Vliet turning around a deep, deep shooting slump and then shooting the rest of the playoffs uh, like no one has ever shot before in the NBA postseason. Uh, I'm sure as the anniversary of the actual championship series and the championship clinching game six game uh, in Oakland come up, we'll be talking about that a little bit. Um, but to be completely honest, everyone kind of just did a rewatch and it's not that all all that far in the past. So I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. It's Fred, Hopefully Fred we Fred have Jr. some Fred. actual news to discuss soon and it seems like we're on the way there um that would be preferable yeah uh, it seems like we're on the way to some sort of conclusion here my guess is we won't know exactly what that conclusion will be for another two weeks or so but i think by the beginning of june second week of june we should know one way or the other which way this season is going let's hope until then we'll continue to come up with things to talk about on this podcast we appreciate you guys listening and following along, um, we will, of course, have updates here on any changes to the NBA's playing status or any information that comes, uh, particularly if they let us know what they're going to do with the cap, which would be super helpful for content in <laughs> killing time uh, times. Jeez, uh, that's a good sign that we need to wrap this up. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Rico Hines for coming on. Again, you can follow him on socials or on his YouTube channel at Rico Hines B-Ball. And Eric, thank you, man. Thanks, Blake. See ya.